Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. Become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Faster Masters. Very, very nice to be here with everybody. And uh, this is a pretty good week for us. We have so many fun things going on. And today, our um, entire podcast is sponsored by LifeProof. These are waterproof phone cases that you can mount in a rowing boat. Don't worry about damage to your phone or water getting inside it. Because with LifeProof, they've got both security, as in it's securely mounted, and those water defences covered. And we're going to spend a little bit of time later on in the show today running through the LifeProof product range and why we like them. Now, this week, I have been getting raffle prizes for the Legion of Rowers regatta because that's on Saturday. <laughs> and um, we have some really fun prizes. So uh, Marlene and I have donated a, um, a free uh, rigging for Masters webinar. And uh, there's a couple of Rowing Tales books from me. And we've gotten some super things like pogies and some wooden chopping boards in the shape of an oar. Um, oh, which, that sounds great. No, doesn't I it? want one of those. Oh, okay, well, I'll speak with Vera. So our local, uh, the boat builder at Laszlo, um, she, very nice. I don't know if you can, if you, if I'm, you probably can't see my, my phone. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to see, but oh, that looks very it's, nice. She says it's their new CNC machine. It even has horizontal stripe wood across the tip and then vertical stripe wood down the shaft of the spoon and into the shaft and a little hole for you to hang the chopping board up on. Oh, cool. anyway. Is it made of, is it bamboo? Is it made of bamboo or you didn't wood? say. I don't know. Oh, she just sent me a photo. So anyway, so that's, it's, it's been fun and people have been incredibly generous. I'm always just so stoked by the number of people who, you know, step up and help out. And, you know, it, it encourages me more than anything else, um, which oh, that's cool for us. And you've been yeah. rigging goats. I've been rigging boats. Yeah, I've been doing, you know, again, beginning of the, lots of beginning of the season setup. But, you know, actually, I really love working on boats. When I was a university student at Boston University, I was the, the work study student in the boathouse. So I, I worked in the boat shop all year long, as well as during the summers. And, um, you know, worked with Bill Miller, who was my head coach, who is a master woodworker and who is also a great rowing historian. So he was my teacher. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to show you my uh, background here. This was the Mixed Masters 8 from Portage Lakes Rowing Association, which David Sebula um, sent us so there they are obviously doing a, a race because well I assume they are because the coxswain has a number 94 on her shirt but maybe she's just wearing a shirt that says 94 but they're all beautifully compressed at the catch and lots of nice square blades just about to enter the water always nice to see yes that's very nice now we have a whole load of things to remind you of number one our kit shop with JL Racing closes today, the 12th of May. Um, so I think probably we can assume Hawaiian time. So get on there. <laughs> Remember, there are 
two different links. One is to the UK and one is the EU. And also, if you haven't got the link, it's jlrowing.com forward slash collections forward slash faster hyphen masters. And that's their blog post about it. And if you scroll down, um, it's got all of the different products in it. But if you are in any doubt, um, go to The Launch, which is their blog. And there they have an article about it with the two links to the UK and sorry, EU um, and US Canada stores. And for those of us in the rest of the world, if you're on our mailing list, there are on shipping services, which I found, which you can ship to a US address and then they'll ship on to you in whichever country you're in. We also, God help us, have the um, Racing Starts Challenge. We are doing one for the UK and Europe. It is in partnership with Junior Rowing News. So look on their website for all the information, but it's on eventbrite.com, Racing Starts Challenge, Junior Rowing News tickets. So it's a bit of a mouthful, um, but they're going to be starting to promote that this week. That is happening in the week prior to the US one. So slightly confusingly, but it's happening on the 17th, 18th and 19th of May. And the one that we're doing with US rowing is the following week. And that starts on the 23rd, 24th and 25th. Both of them, the links will be in our um, newsletter. If you aren't yet a subscriber, you should become one. Have I forgotten anything? <laughs> Um, no. Do we need the link for the jail store? People have that. If they're on their, their newsletter, they certainly have that. Jailrowing.com and go to the launch and you'll see an article and that all the links are in there. Cool. We also gave a very special shout out in our newsletter to anyone who is a non-racing master who we're calling fitness rowers because we're developing a new product. And so if you are a newsletter subscriber, you will find the link to the information about that. It's just, we're just calling for product testers at the moment, but you've got to be on our newsletter list in order to get it. Right. Let's kick into the big meat and potatoes of life proof phone cases. So Marlene went shopping, you know, <laughs> and it was a while ago. And she goes, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. I've been shopping. And then we had to wait for them to arrive. And what did you buy? Yes. Well, I've, I've actually, I have been a user of LifeProof cases for many years, especially they also make iPad cases. So if you are a coach and you're recording video or you're using an app that you record video from your iPad, you, you, you don't want to drop your iPad in the water. So, so that's how I first got to know LifeProof. Um, since that time, every phone that I've had, I immediately buy a LifeProof case for because A, on the water, you should have your, you know, for safety reasons, it's a really good idea to have your cell phone with you. Even if you put it on do not disturb you still have it in the event that something happens or, or there's an emergency. So I, I do think it's good to have it with you on, on the water, though it need not disturb you all the time. But this is one um, iPhone case. And we've taken, we've taken a few pictures here. Let's look at the pictures. And um, they, I, LifeProof makes different types of mounts. 
And you can see that there's this little round part, and I'll hold it up here in our window, that is a clip that attaches to the back of the phone. And I think if we go to the um, this here, you can see in the back of the phone, there there's an, a clip that you put here. This fits onto this clip. And each LifeProof attachment, there are different ways you can hold on to your phone. So each LifeProof attachment has this quick lock type of mechanism on it. And let's go back to the slides. So this is, you can see on the back of this phone, that's what it looks like. And every attachment you buy, it comes with this that you can put on the back of your phone. And this is their belt clip. This is a very handy item. Um, if you just have a strap in your boat or you want to just literally put it on your belt clip, this belt, you know, you can attach this vertically or horizontally to any anything. So this is really handy too if you just want to walk and talk on your phone. But in the boat, um, I clip mine to a boat strap because I have one phone that I use for my rowing data app and I have another phone that I use to talk on. So you didn't tell me that you have two phones in the boat. Yeah, but one phone's not active. One phone, one phone is one phone is my actual iPhone, right? That I talk on. The other one is the one my I just upgraded my phone. So the other one is my previous one. And I use that only for my rowing data app. Um, so that I take, because, because some of these rowing data apps can use a lot of battery on your iPhone and you don't, yeah. you don't want your phone running out of battery in case you need to use it. So, and it's a nice size, you know, this is a nice size for a screen in a boat. Mm. So mm. I do use the belt clip to clip onto a boat strap, um, for both phones so that they don't go into the water and they're easy. I can grab them right off my wing. They're easy to access pretty quickly. Now this attachment, this is a really cool attachment. This is the handlebar attachment. And you can see on the top, um, the top two pictures, that is the, 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 the clip-on part that I just showed you that every attachment has. And this one is a bicycle bar mount. However, if you have a smallish round tubular stay in your boat, like I happen to have in my double, this works great because you can, I have one on the stroke seat and I have one on the bow seat. And depending what seat I sit in, I can bring my, bring my old iPhone, which is now my, my data phone. And I can just clip, clip it right into the seat where I'm sitting. And I think we have a picture of that there. This is, so this is in my, in my single, and this is using the kind of GPS style arm that you can see in the center. And then my little strap I have here is the one I, I hook on my iPhone that I talk on so that if somebody calls me or if there's an emergency, I can access it really quickly. And then this is in the double. This is where the, the round bicycle mount is. And you can put it, you can put your phone vertically or horizontally, however you want. And I have one of these bicycle mounts um, on across this crossbar. And this is an older boat, so it has this style crossbar, but um, mm. but it works great. No, and I have one in the stroke seat and one in the bow seat. Well, how about that? Yeah, and it's wonderful that you know you just carry one object mm. with you, and you can clip it into all of your boats without you know with the same system. That's so cool. So I 
put on the screen a link to Amazon where you can go and review all of the life proof um, products and they have them for every shape and size of phone and iPad and tablet and so on. Um, but I was going to show you what I've done with my life proof. So I bought a separate plastic case mm -hmm. for my phone and because it's transparent, you can see it mounted straight into the um, the strap. So mine is just a wrap around. It's actually, I think it's an arm strap. Yeah, I um, think it is. And the reason I like this is because I row two boats that have wing riggers and this comes with three different lengths of Velcro. So you can see there's the uh, the medium and the long one. And then the short one here is the one that I actually have attached at the moment. And because my single has a rather fatter wing rigger, because it's a carbon, and then I have a double, which has an aluminium wing, which is narrower. And then I've also found that the actual strap has a fat side and a thin side. So I'll just show you here. It mm. sticks out a lot more on this side than the other. And you can see there's the little slot that the Velcro goes through. And I found that if I put it so the fat side is up, I can wrap it around the foot stretcher in the eight so that it, it sits like my toes are here, like underneath. Mm -hmm. um, but then that's kind of handy because um, I can, because I'm just, I just like seeing what the numbers are and I don't have to ask anyone else. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm with you there. Yeah, no, it's really nice. And, and to have, as I said, you have one, one device that hmm. that you take and you can switch it into mul multiple boats and you know the the life proof products are very very good quality i have had some cases for a long time and i've never had an issue and and they're secure and and that's what you need to be concerned yeah. about when you're on the water you don't want your you don't want your expensive phone going into the water <laughs> so um totally. so yeah. it is yeah it is it is really um you know, I think they're just really handy and valuable and well-made products. So I'm happy to support them and they're part of my lifestyle. <laughs> there we go, your rowing lifestyle. Now, we were going to talk today about two different types of rowing, headwind and tailwind. And this is something that it's really worthwhile understanding because being able to make fine adjustments to how you actually row depending on the conditions is the sort of skill that you should all be aspiring to acquire it's not easy to do because typically you are taught to row a particular way and then you are we're basically saying and now you need to row differently because you went around a corner and suddenly there's a tailwind or a headwind um, but particularly if you're the sort of rower who enjoys the way the boat is moving under you, being able to adapt how you power the boat to suit the conditions helps that movement improve and become more efficient. And if you're a racing rower, you will, of course, get speed gains if you can make these adjustments. So let's kick off with headwind conditions. So in a headwind, the key thing to understand is that the wind is blowing on your back and it's slowing you down. So it will hit any large surface. So your back, the oars, when they're square, the tips of the blades will act like a sail. And the whole point is the headwind is retarding your movement. So the first and most obvious thing that happens as a result of being in a headwind 
is that your ratio gets somewhat different. You will get closer to being a one-to-one ratio, almost regardless of what rating you're doing. Because if you go super slow up the slide, you will find that you will take longer through the water because the wind is slowing you down. So the wind will push you up the slide faster. So you have to counter that. But you also have to expect that it'll take you longer to propel the boat through the water. It's a bit like rowing if you're used to rowing on a flowing river, rowing into the stream versus rowing against the stream. And in fact, that's a a direct corollary to headwind, tailwind. You can treat them as direct substitutes. That is a good summary. And, you know, most of the time, scholars or rowers enjoy the headwind more than the tailwind. But in the headwind, you know, I think one of the main principles is be patient, pay attention to what you're doing. Don't let the wind control you and rush you adapt to it. Like as Rebecca says, adapt to it. You you have to adapt to this change in the speed. You have to adapt to this added, added resistance. So um, you do want to maintain your length as best you can, um, given the, the, the boat speed that you want to maintain. You may need to adjust your stroke rate a little bit to keep the boat moving in a way that that feels good, good to you. And you know, it's going to depend on your skill. Do you take it down a little bit because you don't feel quite comfortable? Do you try to, to lengthen something or you try to shorten something? You know, you have to feel, you have to be very sensitive to how the boat moves with that ratio so that you don't start feeling like you're rowing in the mud um, and that you're moving the boat effectively. So I would say keep keep that as a goal. You have to adjust. And and the wind might be changing too. It might be gusting. So you might get a strong blast and then it eases off. And, and, you know, looking, tuning into how the boat moves and and trying to feel that you're keeping the boat moving as well as possible without, you know, huge, huge changes in, in the speed. But, um, and and you know square your blades a little bit later <laughs> when you when you're in a really strong headwind you know if you're if you have the skill to do so you can adjust your roll up timing a little bit if you're in a very very strong headwind um, not to have it square too long because as Rebecca said it's going to act like a sail so those are things with your blade preparation that you might want to practice just in general, you know, practice different amounts of time or different points in your stroke when you start your roll up, because you you do have to change when you're in different conditions. So other technical changes that you can make for rowing into a headwind, in general, you will find that you'll feel the load quite early once you place the oars in the water. So you want to be a little more patient in the first part of the leg drive, because the wind will push your back and that will push your blades through the water. Um, So basically be patient at the catch and add more to the finish. So your power phase needs to be more back end loaded. So what that means is you want to have a very dynamic backswing and arm draw so that you really hold on to the blade for as long as you can. So you're keeping the power on a little bit longer 
um, so that you keep the blades in the water. Because obviously with the wind pushing you, you actually will feel that you're working harder and, and you could be. Um, but the best way to do that is to ensure that your oars stay under the water for as long as possible. Yes, and focusing, I mean, and this is one of the reasons in the drive phase when we work on drive suspension and we work on good swing, you really have to use your body weight and, and you know, your body weight won't get tired. And in a headwind, you need to maximize that strong swing in in the middle of the drive into the end of the drive and because the headwind's going to push you to shorten up and you have to resist that that temptation to shorten up. You have to, you know, stay long, keep the pressure, you know, focus on good pressure on the blade and just like really leaning your weight into, into the wind. I often find that having high elbows at the finish in the sculling or high outside elbow in the sweep is a good way of keeping your blade buried under the water till the last possible moment. And you might want to try um, a, a call where you say, right, hold on to your finishes for one more centimeter. So, you know, it's a tiny increment, but with everybody keeping their elbows high and keeping your handle high, so you're definitely finishing up with your handles high on your chest, not ridiculous, but uh, to the correct height, so the spoon is still buried under the water, that that can be a useful way to sort of practice what it would feel like in a headwind. Yes, because often headwinds accompany rough water. <laughs> so, right. You know, they often go together. So if you've got kind a of, chop and yeah. headwind, you know, the, the patients. I can remember when I was a, a novice rower in university and we were rowing on the Charles River in the basin and we had to race Boston University against Syracuse. And one, one other um, might have been. Uh, Rutgers, I think we might have been racing against, and it was howling. I mean, it was really strong headwind, and it was white caps that white caps that were hitting the riggers. And remember, we used to we used to um, put those little little plastic pieces on the riggers because the riggers used to be triangles, so that the water wouldn't splash into the boat. We had splash guards, and and um, it was just howling. And I remember thinking, just make sure the blade is in the water just make yep. and we were an idiot but just make just make don't push until that blade is in and i just remember make sure that it's in because you're also going in between peaks of waves so if you hit in be, in a peak of wave you're you're going to feel the contact at one moment when if you're in the trough of the waves it's going to feel completely different so that i always um remember like that's the day i learned how to row in a headwind so well, and what a good learning that was. I mean, it was just make sure it make sure that baby's in before you push. You know, that was, it was quite it was a very simple, simple um, approach to the race. But we won, you know, we won by quite a lot. So, you know, we were we were happy. But I remember just make sure that is that you're rock solid and then push, you know, so. Marlene makes a really good point about waves often accompanying headwinds you need to be able to tap your handles down lower on the recovery so that your oar clears the peak of the wave. And that's a really, really key skill to have anyway. We differ somewhat in our approach to things like the time for squaring and how much you should tap down. Some rowers like to keep their tips of their blades very close to the water, 
Personally, I don't coach that because then there are fewer things you have to adapt if there are waves so that you don't want to hit hit the water, obviously, on the recovery. So my preference is to teach everyone to row with their handle heights the same. So they could be square blades, which is the test. Mm -hmm. But equally, if you're feathered, but your handles are low enough that you could be square, you'll be clearing a lot of wave caps. Yes, I know. I think that's that that is really, really important that learn how to row at the proper shaft height. And that's what Rebecca's talking about. You need to keep your shaft. If you were rowing square blades, your shaft would be a certain height. If you just feather off and your shaft is still at that height, you'll really be able to manage a lot of rough water with that, without a lot of problems. But you have to learn that position and you have to learn that balance of the boat and on the recovery to carry that, that position. There's an article on our blog it's called Rowing in Rough Water, which I'll put the link in the show notes and I'll share that with people who are on our newsletter list. If that's a particular thing that you want to particularly work on, less on the headwind aspect, but more on the how to row through rough water. Now you turn around and Lord, it's a tailwind. So very different conditions. So in a tailwind, the feeling now is that the boat is being rushed along by the wind because the wind is on your face and it's pushing you in your direction of travel. And as a consequence, what you often feel is that the boat's got away from you. I sometimes describe it as being like driving a car. If you remember driving a manual car um, with a, what do you call it? A manual stick shift um, yeah. downhill. And if you shift up gears, maybe from second to third gears, you're going downhill. During that second or so, it takes you to change gear. The car is continuing to roll downhill because of gravity and the existing speed that it already has. So you get into third gear and you don't really feel the gear mesh engage and start to accelerate the car further because it's already got faster. And rowing in a tailwind feels a little bit like that, like... You, you feel like you put the blade in the water and there's nothing to grip. Like it's already moved past you, almost as if you've kind of missed the catch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely can feel like you're spinning, spinning your wheels. And I think what freaks people out sometimes is they're not getting the feedback from the blade and the drive that they're used to getting when they're rowing in flat conditions or when you're rowing in headwind conditions, you're getting an enormous amount of feedback, right? That, oh God, I'm moving this boat. When you're in the tailwind, you know, you could feel like you're spinning. Sometimes you don't believe that you're doing anything, right? You just, you know, you feel like you're kind of spinning your wheels. But I, I do have scholars work on, A, um, keeping your head in the boat, paying attention to what's going on, not letting the wind control what you do work with the work with the wind try to be a little bit quicker a little bit sharper with your transitions you know try to be very sensitive to the pressure on the blade um keep your length in in the tailwind but you know but you have to you have to kind of play around with your release timing to see like well do i have to do i have to get out a little bit earlier or do i get out here because you have to feel how the boat reacts so i often actually have a really hard time um 
telling someone specifically what to do because it's going to depend on how fast the tailwind is and your skill at adjusting your timing on the drive and you know do you have to get out a little bit earlier and you have to get the blade and everything has to happen a little bit quicker in in the tailwind but um but but i think just not letting the wind rush you and still make sure that you're maintaining your sequences in the proper order even if you may have to to execute them a little bit quicker you don't want to give up your sequences either so in contrast with our headwind which is a back end loaded stroke the tailwind is a front end loaded stroke and the idea here is you want more of your power to have been delivered into the water before your blades get to 90 degrees square off with your pins so if you remember, the headwind advice was be patient at the catch and then really dynamic swing and draw, which is basically from half slide through to when you take the blades out of the water. Half slide is just before blades square off, roughly. What we're going to try in our tailwind is move the power closer to the catch. So the first thing that you need to do is to make sure that you roll all the way forwards and you're getting to full compression. It's really key that you don't cut your front end short in any way. It's also super hard to do because you feel a little vulnerable there. And also in the tailwind, the boat is moving along faster than it would typically be. So you can feel a bit more wobbly when you're right out at the catch in a tailwind. You want to be sharper on and much quicker on with your leg, leg drive so that you're really driving dynamically in we big boats generally move faster than small boats. So if you've rowed in a quad or an eight, you'll know that when you're up at a highish rate, so something over 28, you need to get your legs on early and you need to drive them quickly in order to be in time with the boat and with the other athletes. You want to take that same feeling of being early and quick onto the leg drive into your boat in a tailwind. So you might be rowing a single, but you want to feel that it's more like you're rowing a quad. So that you're mm -hmm. in and on, in and on, and you're super fast on that. And then the second part of the adjustment of making a front end loaded stroke is exactly what Marlene said earlier, cut your finish short. So tap the finish out, maybe two centimeters earlier in front of your body than you would typically. And the reason for this is your arm draw is, we know, the least powerful part of your stroke in terms of the muscles that you can bring to bear on it. And because the tailwind is coming into your face and it's pushing you along, it's going to be increasingly ineffective. Even if you can draw your arms really quickly, you're not going to add much to the boat speed. So you might as well actually just cut it short, get the blades out clean, because the tailwind, because it's pushing you, will tend to make it harder for you to get the finishes out. And you do not want to get caught at the finish. So if you think of your arc being from catch to finish, and I'm pointing my fingers at a roughly 90 degree angle for people who are listening, and that is in a normal stroke, symmetrical around your pin. It's not actually that, but might be a little bit more 60, 40. 
You want to move it so in the tailwind, so much more of your power is in front of the pin. And in the headwind, it's the opposite. You want a little bit more behind the pin. It's not quite as much, but you can be really confident out at the catch and drive that stroke much harder than you think so that you get the quick connection with the water. And because you move your legs quickly, you start to move the blades against the water faster so that you actually connect with the water, even though the boat is already being pushed along by the wind. And you could, if you if you practice this, you you could um, have some rigging strategies for different conditions. And um, I, th I think different competitors approach it different. Some competitors don't change their rigging no matter what, given conditions. They stay with what they have. Other competitors are co comfortable making little adjustments to their rigging or their coaches are, are um, comfortable with that. If whatever you do, like, for example, in a tailwind condition, you know, you might have a strategy to change that arc a little bit or increase the catch angle dynamic to give you that more front loaded stroke or to give you a bit more time in the water from when the blade goes into when it gets to perpendicular and, and, you know, put less importance on the, the angle at the release. But I think those are, those are definitely strategies that you can use, but you should practice them beforehand and not do it the first time in a race. But, you know, these are, these would be good things um, to say, well, I know that I can make a one centimeter adjustment and that's going to feel pretty good. Not, or I can move my foot stretchers one notch and that's going to feel pretty good if, I, if I'm in a, a strong enough tailwind condition. So as long as you expect what you're going to get, you know, you could get some benefits around your rigging in terms of um, shifting that arc a little bit too, or increasing or decreasing the catch angle, depending on the, the conditions. Yeah, I'm not personally a great advocate of changing a lot of things, but there are definitely advantages to be had. If you've got a really brisk tailwind and you want to um, shorten your inboard, you can easily do that. Um, and, you know, maybe one click, which is half a centimeter on the groove ridges on your sleeve um, of the skulls, may be worth trying. But do bear in mind that if you're doing a race event, quite often you've got to go around a corner and the wind conditions may be different and the wind can change quite quickly. Yes. So yes. You do not want to make some no. major strategies that change things that you can't then change while you're on the water. So adjusting your foot stretcher, that's easy. You might get to the start of the race and find the wind shifted and so you can adjust that. But anything that needs a screwdriver um to change your oars you right, may not feel. right unless you've got clams um clams are a centimeter adjustment and you can keep them um you know just on the handle and then if you need them you can then put them between the button and the gate which will basically lengthen your inboard so good good for headwind conditions um and they're just a, a nice kind of emergency measure um if you feel confident doing that yeah yeah there's a there's a lot to there's a lot to check out. I I was never a big fan of changing, suddenly making rigging changes, especially the day of an important race. But, you know, there, if you're on a straightaway course, it looks like, you know, these are elements that can come in. 
but you have to say like, okay, what's your comfort level? What's your confidence level? Um, have you tried this before? You know, there's, there are things that, that come into play, but it is something that you, you can look at. I used to be a great advocate of changing the inboard of the oars in headwinds and tailwinds. And nowadays I've really moved quite a long way away from that. Um, just because I'm not convinced that it gives enough of an additional advantage unless you have a very highly skilled crew. And I think you get a, and I will say I have not tested this, mm -hmm. but I think if you can adjust your technique, you can give yourself an advantage, which is probably quite similar to changing the oar length and inboard. One of the risks of changing the oar length and inboard is that you don't last the distance. As yeah. you know, if you make your gearing heavier, which would be shortening the inboard or lengthening the overall length of the skulls or oars, what tends to happen is you, if you're doing a straight you know, 1K or 2K race, you'll tend to go out and get ahead in the early part of the race. And then what happens is the race tends to catch you up and you're much more limited in your ability to take the rate up and do a good sprint. And obviously the opposite, if you um, shorten your oars uh, for a headwind, you can be, people will overtake you at the beginning of the race. But the question is then, can you crank it up and really out sprint them when you've got to also make up distance in the middle of the race because they were rowing with heavier gearing? So again, very much a personal choice. And it's worth taking these risks. We all know that you have several races and regattas and events that you will do before your big winter event or your big summer event. Use that as an opportunity to do an experiment. Be clear about it. Know what changes you made um, and get someone to critically look at either your race data off of a, a speed coach or, or your phone or a little bit of video of you, you know, mm -hmm. do you end up with a two part stroke because your gearing's too heavy and you have to, you push with your legs and then you swing your back and it's not joining up or, you know, what are the things that are happening as a result of the change? And it's worth learning these things, even if it means mm -hmm. that you don't win every time or don't make the final or, you know, feel like you didn't have your best race, just treat it as a learning experience. Is that it? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know that, and that's what your 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 uh, smaller regattas, scrimmages. That's exactly what they're for: is to to experiment with with um, things like rigging adjustments, to experiment with different conditions, to experiment with your race plan. You know, you don't want to experiment too much in your big event <laughs> if you can help it, um, unless you're really going like. I've got to, I've got to really do something. This is critical, you know, and you just decide to take that risk, right? That happens. But, but, you know, use your smaller races, your scrimmages, your club races, competitive pieces, you know, you're doing pieces against another crew. Try it one way, one day, try it another way, but you have to understand how the load is going to react and how it's going to affect your, your ability to start or your ability to finish. We had a lovely scrimmage last weekend um, when three single scholars came over from one of the other town clubs and did some 1K pieces with us. And uh, it was one of those classic things where we don't have a Boyd course. So we were like, we're starting on this side of the lake and you're heading toward that park, which is pretty visible on the other side of the lake. And uh, 
in the outside lane. We had one of the visitors and he kept inching over towards Bowside and he took the whole race with him. Everybody ended up going on this long diagonal. Oh dear. And then in the, then they came around and did it again and they moved. So they put a girl who's a local on the outside and they thought, well, she knows the way she'll you know and they'll follow her no she went plumb straight and everyone else still went oh gosh so it didn't I know. steering is a whole nother topic there is a whole nother topic and on a strange waterway as well yes yes or or depending and depending what's on the shore do you have something to point on are there lots of trees where things all look the same you know it depends on your reference points I remember so, we did a anyway. long distance race at a place called Peterborough, which is in the Fenlands, which is very low lying and flat country in the east of England. And it was oh, around a 5K race and you rode out and there was one bend in the very obvious bend in the middle of the course. But it's a canal, basically. So it's a, a drainage ditch. And uh, so our coxswain said, look, you know, we'll do these big pushes when we get to the bend and we're coming into it and going out of it. And then and then we'll do another you know, big set of pushes when we're on the straight past those cows. Of course, the cows had moved by the time we got there. <laughs> so, yeah, not a good reference. Right? So. <laughs> Don't use a reference that can move. <laughs> right. Well, I hope that we've given you all some wonderful things to think about and practice in your headwind and tailwind rowing conditions. Do put your feedback onto our Facebook page. And don't forget, we have the Faster Masters Rowing Training Group also on Facebook if you want to talk about training things as opposed to uh, technique or other ideas. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport by buying a Faster Masters Rowing program subscription today at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. Till next time. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you, everyone.